Our emotions are designed, they're designed to inform us, not to direct us. There is no number you're ever going to get to that is going to heal whatever is going on inside of you. I think defining what it means to be a man is not possible. And, and when I say I don't think it's possible, I think I mean on a mass scale of agreement throughout societies. Oftentimes, anger is simply sadness masked. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the Imperfect Experience. Hello, Imperfect listeners. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposely. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to remind you all that I recently started a Facebook group called The Imperfect Group, where we will continue to have all these conversations about masculinity in a community dedicated to these topics. Uh, We have fans, past guests, listeners, uh, all part of that group. So if you want to be interested in joining, link in the description below for you know direct access to some of the coolest people I've ever had a chance to talk to. Um, now for my guest, it is crossdresser Savannah Hawk. You will hear her bio shortly uh, as we get into the episode, um, but on this episode we discuss the difference between drag and crossdressing, how gender and sexuality plays into the conversation, and how people view her in public, and much, much more. Uh, also, I have three copies of her book, Living with Crotch Stressing, to give away. To enter the giveaway, there are a few options. Uh, one, shoot me a message on Instagram at the Imperfect Pod. You know, either uh, saying you're interested in having the book or reading the book, uh, and we can coordinate there. Two, shoot me an email at luke at theimperfectpod.com. Same thing, send uh, a subject or email talking about how you're interested in the book. Or three, share a screenshot of the episode on Instagram and tag me at the imperfect pod. Again, if you enjoyed the episode, it would mean the world to me if you took 30 seconds to press the follow button, subscribe button, or leave a review or share it with a friend. Now, let's get into the show. Hey, imperfect listeners. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Savannah Hawk. Am I pronouncing that correctly? That's right. Okay, Savannah is a lifelong dual-gender biological male who uses the art of male-to-female cross-dressing to create her feminine identity and presentation. She is the author of two books, the Living with Cross-Dressing series, also a social media advocate and co-host of the Fox and the Phoenix podcast, a resource on cross-dressing. So Savannah, thank you very much for joining me here today. Oh, thank you so much for uh, letting me come on. Yeah, and and for those that don't know... uh, Savannah and I are on Zoom, and she's dressed up for me uh, here today, so uh, that is fantastic. But Savannah, uh, you get the same guess, same first question that all my other guests get as well, which is, who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have over for dinner, and what would you cook for them? I definitely would have to go with Stephen King, because he is my uh, childhood author idol. Um, what would I make? Is, is this depending on, can I make anything, or is it just going to be in my, okay, so it doesn't have to be my skill set. No, uh, I'm going to say um, probably like filet mignon and baked potatoes. Okay. Do you, have you ever made filet mignon before or no? I've made steak, but nothing that fancy. Okay. okay. What's the difference between steak and filet mignon? Uh, the price. Okay. <laughs> Just the price? No, actually, I mean, if you cut into a filet mignon that's done well, it's um, or done cooked well, it's like butter. It melts mm. in your mouth. It, it cuts so easy. It's like every other steak is just hamburger 
at that point. I've had Kobe beef before. I'm not sure if, you, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, and I, I had it in, in Kobe, Japan. Ooh, um, okay. And it was the best meat I've ever had in my entire life. It was pricey, but I told myself there was two things I had to do when I was in Japan. And one was have Kobe beef in Kobe. And uh, that is checked off my bucket list forever. So phenomenal. If you ever get the chance to do it, do it. I will definitely. I know they don't you like feed the cows something very specific. Yeah, it's like named after the cow itself or something, and there's only very few of them, and it's the feed they give them. I'm not really sure about the whole system, but there's like a chef right in front of you, and they say pair it with salt and pepper or sometimes garlic, mm. and oh, it was, I'm, I'm, I'm there right now, and <laughs> I swear to God, I'm so happy. I can, I, that is such a vivid, clear memory in my life. Oh, you know, because food has sense of sensory input besides just sight. It's sight. It's a smell. It's a taste. It t- almost takes in every part of you. So, of course, it would be very vivid. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now on to you and your life. So, Savannah, how did you get into cross-dressing in the first place? I guess would be where I start off. Uh, well, I'd say around the age of six. And that's six years old. I mean, not six mm. years ago. Six years old. Um, found myself attracted to, you know, the clothing my mom was putting away and fold, folding and putting away and just was drawn to it for no other reason. Then I just was drawn to the clothing and I just wanted to see what it was like to wear it and touch it and kind of take it in. And from there, it was something that I knew was not something anybody else was doing. I mean, I knew this is something that like, you know, mom and sister would wear, not necessarily mm-hmm. I had no kind of example of what I why I should wear it. So I knew early on that it wasn't something I would tell my parents or like let them in on. It wasn't like we were, were living in a um, very liberal home. It's very conservative, mm-hmm. very traditional, very nuclear family, very middle class, Midwestern, um, so there in the US. So there was really nothing that my brain was like, oh, let me share what I'm doing. And I just never did. So it Continued on like that for years of just kind of periodically until the 90s, mid 90s, when I moved to New York and saw in New York City and saw all the diversity that was there. And it really was an eye opener. And that's when I kind of went head to toe with it. That's where I kind of made that decision and became Savannah. That's when the name Savannah came into being. That's when the full presentation came into being. And yeah, so that's when it kind of all took that tilt to that mm. next that next level. Did you ever like play around with it when you were a kid when your parents weren't watching or anything? Oh yeah. Like that? Oh yeah. I mean, okay. we were latchkey kids, which means that parents worked and you were left at home after school. And at a certain point my sister was working herself. Um yeah, so yeah, I was left alone and had opportunity to to dress, but it wasn't full. I never dressed fully like makeup and hair and heels until I, my mid 20s. Mm -hmm. And how did, I guess, how did the name Savannah come about now that uh, you alluded to it? Uh, Savannah was a product of not wanting something normal. Being Mm -hmm. from the Midwest and living in New York City, I was trying to find something exotic that wasn't trampy. So, uh, you know, we we settled on a bunch of names. Uh, Me and my wife at the time settled on a bunch of names and nothing really fit until one day I said, it's Savannah. And don't know where it came from, but it stuck. I loved it. It was exact enough, exotic enough to kind of fit what I was feeling and just went from there. 
And um, playing off that, I guess, uh, is what is what makes cross dressing different than drag? Because I know that that might be a question that some people have. Oh yeah, um, drag is typically everybody knows RuPaul, everybody knows Drag Race, everybody has an idea what drag is. The problem is not everybody knows what cross dressing is, so they bucket it in the same kind of idea or, or label. Cross dressing is something we do to. Well, for, there's many versions. I mean, in my first book, I talk about the types of cross-dressers, and you can have a myriad of reasons why you do it, whether it's just clothing, whether it's just underwear, whether it's head-to-toe presentation, whether it's in private, in public, uh, to distress, uh, to escape, to fit in, to fulfill. There's dozens and dozens of reasons why we cross-dress. Now, that being said, drag is performance. Drag is something, you know, you get very dialed up it's it's over the top is exaggerated it's high uh, fashion it's performance art and much of the time drag is just that they do it as a performance they don't live their lives that way whereas being dual gender and, and using cross-dressing to be dual gender i go out on the weekends i go to starbucks i sit there for several hours and you know tap on my keyboard and, and do some writing or do some editing so for me, it is part of my identity to go out and be seen and be a part of society, not just, you know, go on stage at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday, Saturday night, you know, to mm-hmm. in, for the masses to enjoy my lip syncing and dancing. Yeah. And you have the whole creative identity around Savannah. So do you have to be Savannah to create what, like create about Savannah? Ooh, if you're only Savannah on Sundays? Does that mean I'm always Savannah creatively on Sundays? No, actually, that's yeah. a very good question. There is no difference in who I am as an entity, as a creative. Um, de- doesn't matter what I'm wearing. That that, okay. that that doesn't define me. It's not like you you flip a switch and I write like Savannah when I'm dressed as Savannah. I, I write like my male self when I'm my male self. That is, uh, it actually happens for some people. They they put on the garb and they put on the dress and they kind of take on a whole new persona. For me, mm-hmm. um, no, not really. I mean, I'm a little softer. I'm a little more, have different comportment. I walk differently. I carry myself differently. Uh, but in terms of creative, I'm creative every day. And, you know, I'll write Savannah stuff, you know, on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. And I'll write stuff for my male side the other days. It doesn't, that doesn't affect how I think. Okay. And you talked about the different types of cross-dressers. What, what do you identify as in terms of fulfillment or uh, I kind of forget the other ones that oh, you escapism. Listed, there several. Yeah. People yeah. who dress to distress, people who is, ha- have it as an escapism. Um, for me, it is just, if you think about gender identity and gender identity, we have masculinity, we have femininity. And the problem is people just kind of put those as two temples you know, like you're one or the other. Or if you're feminine and you have more masculine traits, well, that's okay because you're buying into this elevated form because masculinity is so much more sought after than femininity. Um, But for me, if you think about identity, I have a dual gender. I am biologically male. I live five, six days of my life in male mode, going to work, doing my thing, living life, bring home paycheck, um, you know, doing stuff with my girlfriend. And then Sundays or whatever, like tonight, for instance, or a Sunday, I, I become Savannah. And it just, it just makes me feel complete in that other role that I need some periodic expression with. Mm-hmm. And 
another question I have about being in that role is obviously, you know, people that know you both as Savannah and not Savannah. So Mm -hmm. is there an expectation of those people to call you Savannah in while you're Savannah and refer to you as she pronouns, or does that really not bother you if they only call you by, I guess your, your male assigned name? Um, (laughs) ironically, I'll answer a bunch of those questions. The first is if you said he versus she, depending on what I'm wearing, um, yeah, I would be just a little annoyed because I'm like, look, you're looking at Savannah and you're still using he pronouns. I mean, I, I pretty much, I would like people to address me with a pronoun as I'm appearing or as I'm presenting. Um, one time I went to a coffee shop and that they know me as both and they called me by my male name, even though I had come in in full Savannah mode. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, well, you know, they're busy and they know me as both names. So it was just mechanics. It's like, you know, I, I see you as your male side all the time. So, you know, even though they see the presentation, they're still thinking the other name. So I don't, I don't take it too hard. Um, but there are some people, and this is more the transitioning community. This is more the people who don't feel comfortable in their maleness or in their male body or mm-hmm. biology. Those are the people where if they are transitioning and you call them by the wrong pronoun or their dead pronoun, their biological pronoun that they're getting away from, those are the people who take it harder. Those are the people you see stream and go viral online, you know, having a blow up at GameStop because they had been told he, sir, him so many times. It's just, it's just a stab in the gut every time they're reminded of that person they're trying to get away from being. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you wouldn't relate the the same kind of experience, although you still find it annoying and you'd want them to, to refer to you as the one it. that you're. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think yeah. it's just validating. It's just something like it validates how you're presenting. And if somebody kind of comes in and says, excuse me, sir, and you're looking, you know, long hair and a dress, I think for anybody it would be, you know, whether you're cisgender or, dual gender or transgender, I think people would, you know, say, wow, really? You thought I was a guy? Is it just because I didn't put on makeup today? You know, and I'm a real woman. I'm a biological woman. And you're you're talking to me like that. I mean, I think we're hurt everybody's feelings, but it's not that gut wrench that could be for some. Have you ever kind of had a really bad experience while you've been Savannah with people? I know that you now live in the South and I'm really just curious about that. Uh, yeah, well, I moved from the Midwest, which is fairly conservative, went to New York City, which is liberal and awesome, and then had to move to South Carolina, the upstate of South Carolina, which is, there's like a triangle of, of counties that is more liberal than the rest, but it's Baptist, it's very religious, very conservative, very Republican, um, pickup trucks and you know gun racks. So I was scared out of my life just to go out. Um, the first time after we moved here, you know, trying to find a place to go. Um, and it was, uh, it took about six months for me to even get the courage back up. I mean, we're talking about me going out like every week in New York, you know, going to events, going to parties, and then coming down to here to South Carolina was, I was so fearful of what could happen. So I ended up, you know, kind of like looking and looking, looking for like a safe haven to kind of connect myself to so I could get from the apartment to the car from the car to the event and be safe and um, i realized like with exposure and with repeated times going out i felt more and more comfortable realizing that people are people in general don't care 
if you keep yourself safe and you stay in a safe environment and you're very self-aware and you carry yourself in a very appropriate manner for the venue, most people don't even notice you. And if they do, they're like, they'll give you a double glance and then just move on to their business because they have their own lives. Mm -hmm. So no, to answer your question, I've never had uh, a violent experience. I've never had altercations. I, I have been very lucky in that regard. Okay. And you've also mentioned to the fact that you've had a wife and now you have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So exp- explain that you're not, you're, you're cisgendered, you're straight and you do this. Yes. Uh, what people tend to misinterpret is they see you in a dress. Therefore they're assuming you must want to be female. Therefore you must want to take on all the traits of a female. Therefore you must like men. That's a lot to connect. There's a lot of dots to connect, but yet that is instant in most people's minds when they say, oh, you're a man, but you're dressed as a woman. Oh, you must be gay. No, that's not. There is no more proclivity from the general populace of like, you know, 10,000 men in that demographic. If 4% are gay, you could take the same number of cross-dressing men. You'd have the same percentage of people who were gay. So there's no huge differential. Just because I want to wear a dress doesn't automatically make me sexually uh, reassigning. Mm -hmm. And the problem is people tend to say, oh, gender equals sexual attraction. And those are hugely independent qualities that most people don't, you know, they, they assume that like male, you know, men like women and women like men, therefore, and they kind of just assign that so quickly to who they see and they try to put you in that box and they just make that assumption. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really true. Um, even in, you know, if we think about a lot of our lives, it's, Oh, if you're a man, you must like women or if you're gay or you act in any feminizing way, Mm. you're gay. And we always align performance with, sexuality i guess which just typically isn't the case because there's no like like sexuality is is just so much different than gender mm-hmm. there's no like you're hardcore straight and, right. and hardcore like gay i guess well i guess you might be but you know being hardcore masculine doesn't make you hardcore straight right they, they don't connect in that way no not at all um i'm, I'm curious then is how have how how did your ex-wife and how did your current girlfriend, how did they respond to this identity that you have? Um, and, and tell me a little bit more about those experiences. Uh, when I was married, I was still, again, we talked about the mid-90s coming out. So when I got married, this was still kind of a hidden thing. I didn't share much with her. Um, when we got married, it started to be, you know, I started to be a little more open about it, where I was, not really understanding where I was and where I was going, because I didn't have the resources to understand more so than, you know, bad parodies on TV. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people do this. It must be for fetish. Um, it's like the things you see in the back of magazines, you know, that are like behind the counter. Uh, I had no real good role model or even understanding or community to really know what I was doing. So when her and I moved to New York, um, we both experienced a huge eye-opening in terms of what was out there. You know, going to Lucky Chang's in New York City downtown where everybody's a drag queen and like seeing that and it was like it's so open and kind of, you know, the performance and everybody was loving it. And all of a sudden it's such a completely different world. Um, 
so long story short, I made more of a discovery in my journey about being dual gender and across and using cross-dressing. And she discovered her lesbianism. So here we are both repressed and coming, basically both coming out at the same time. So as she was finding herself, she was very supportive about me finding myself. That's when the name came. That's when the identity came. That's when, you know, the look came uh, at that time. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, once we we did end up divorcing, obviously, um, but we, we did so in a way that she was able to live her best life and find her, find her journey. And I was able to do the same. Okay. Now, with, now with my current girlfriend, again, several girlfriends between then and now, between the mid-90s and <laughs> the 2000s. Yeah. So um, I made a point for every girlfriend to make sure they knew, like, day one, that Savannah existed. This is what it was. And they all, you know, I was in relationships with them. And they, you know, were part of that development for better, for worse. You know, I come out of the closet and be more vocal, and more visible, and then retreat back because just the validation and the support was there or not there. Um, so with the current, my current girlfriend, same thing. She knew from day one. And for her, it was something she had no experience with, no exposure to. Um, but at this point, I was fairly well established and very self-aware, very understanding of where I was in my journey and where I was heading. And it was just a matter of more education, which is where the books mm-hmm. came from. Yeah. No, and I think that's really beautiful. Um, do you ever like wear their clothes or do you have your own set? I have my own stuff. Um, I've never actually been with a girlfriend that I could completely steal stuff from her closet. Um, sometimes you can share dresses. Sometimes you can share, uh, sometimes you can share shoes. Uh, but I've never had that whole, like I can steal anything from closet and it fits. Um, no, I have my own stuff, uh, my own closet. I have a closet full of male clothes and a second closet full of female clothes. Okay. So do, I get, do they, <laughs> do they ever get mad at how well you pull off women, clo- female clothing, women clothing? I think, uh, I like think in, in a playful way. <laughs> I, I th- well, I tell you what, I think because I tend to, you know, when I'm doing my feminine expression, it is very binary. And by that, I mean, I am going for a very specific ideal of femininity, you know, a very specific look. I want to look a certain way, not necessarily like this got to be this exact makeup. I, I want to be as passable as possible. So I've spent years continuing to perfect, perfect my craft. What happens is because I take an hour to get ready, an hour and a half to get ready, and my girlfriend's like done in 15 minutes, it's kind of like the reversal where it's like mm-hmm. the guy sitting on the couch going, hey, are you ready yet? I've been waiting for an hour. Now she's waiting for me for an hour. So that's where it gets playful. It's like, really? Are you done yet? It's like, I've been done for an hour. Yeah. So yeah. So in that way, it's like, wow, you take so much time. And sometimes it can get competitive. Sometimes it's like, oh, I guess I should have dressed up more, her saying that to me. Um, but I think even then she realized, it's like, listen, I'm not looking for you to match me. I do this because this is what I feel I need to do and what I want to do, but you need to live what makes you feel the most feminine, what makes you feel the most comfortable. It's like, it's not for you to like, be like, Oh, if you got this much makeup on, then she has to put the same amount. No, it's all about just whatever makes you the happiest and most content. And and do you go out together? Like when you're Savannah and and 
whatnot? Like, do you go for romantic dinners and dates and stuff? Oh, uh, well, COVID really put a damper on uh, yeah. going anywhere. But yes, yeah, so we have gone out with friends. We've gone out uh, just to go to like, we went to Mexican. Um, we went to the park a few times, even you know during COVID, like at the early stages. Um, we've done a few things. We've, we've uh, had weekend trips. We've gone to trans conferences where I was Savannah all weekend and we're, you know, going to the courses and the breakout groups and the dinners and the lunches. And yeah, and we'd spend the entire time that way. Go to the pool, went to the indoor pool, you know, mm-hmm. both in bathing suits, Savannah and, and her. So, um, you know, we don't do it as often as we could, but again, this is, again, once things kind of settle back into a normalcy, uh, we'll probably see more of it. Okay. And I have, I have a question following up on that. Oh, you said you went to a trans conference. Do are there like, how is that relationship between cross-dressers and trans people? Because trans people are more like my identity needs to change. I'm born in the wrong body. You're, you're kind of doing it more from a performative standpoint. Is like, there any friction in those two um, worlds? I'm really curious about yes. that. Yes, there can be. There is. Um, there are some outspoken people who would like to say that you're only a cross-dresser. Like they would look at me and say, oh, you only do a part-time and, and you're okay with your biology. Oh, you're only a cross-dresser versus them being transgender. Now, the problem with the word transgender, and again, I'm not, I am not going to ever judge what how people label themselves. The problem is people like to label other people. Um, the problem with the word transgender, it is both a specific term and a general term, meaning if you are two spirit, like a Native American, if you are trans, a transitioning man to woman, if you're trans masculine or trans feminine, if you're a crossdresser, if you are a drag queen, you all of us live under a transgender umbrella. What happens though is the trans, the transitioning folk also have coined the term transgender for themselves. So there's friction in terms of the usage of the word, the understanding of the word, how they apply it to themselves versus somebody else, how they react when I might use it for myself in their presence. So there is a there can be a lot of friction if you are kind of saying, no, you are not transgender because you don't fit the criteria that I fall under as a transgender woman. So that's when you can get some, you know, that's when education is important. That's when understanding is, is important. That's when it's important not to label other people or define the labels for them. You know, I would never label you and you should never label me. It's for us to decide however we understand it. Now, people can come to us and say, well, you do know that transgender means this, right? And then you do research and you do discovery, which is why I use dual gender or bi-gender uh, more readily than I would transgender, because I I do understand that there is there is a very tactical reason why people use it. Mm, got you. And one of the things I just noticed is that uh, I'm not sure if this is part of your. And I'm very glad that you dressed up as Savannah because I I noticed this, and you said I would be noticing this too when when you pitched the whole idea of doing it that way. Because uh, on our initial call, you were uh, the male version of yourself, obviously. But yeah. you, the way you caress your hair is is much more feminine than it would be if if you were. I feel like in your male identity. So when it comes to your gender performance now, 
do you notice anything that's different than your male performance? Like, do you walk a different way? Do you, obviously you're using the same voice. I know I asked that on an initial call too. Right. Um, but what are those things that you notice that are different about the way you, I guess, perform yourself? Well, uh, again, I will stay away from the word performance because it's really a presentation as an identity. Um, mm. Because again, performative means that you're doing it as an art. Well, it is an art form, but for me, it's yeah. fulfilling that feminine energy or spirit that that I need to express in some mm-hmm. way. That's and again, nobody knows why we cross dress. Nobody knows why we feel this need to have an expression, but not actually transition out of our male biology. I mean, there mm-hmm. there's still a lot there that's not understood. But the way I see it is, cross dressing is what I do, not who I am. By gender is who I am, and I'm just using cross-dressing. Now, to answer your question about what's different about me, you, I use my hands more. Um, I tend to close my body in more. Like keep the shoulders in, keep the arms in. Um, the walk is uh, a little more flowy uh, when I'm going from place to place. That could be because of the heels or it could be because I just try to put a little more effort to put you know, the foot in front of the foot you know, to try to get that motion that's a little more feminine. Um, I hold myself a little higher. Um, you know, when I sit, whether I'm in leggings or a dress, like, you know, my legs are together. They're, they're very specific. You know, if you think about the 19, like 30s through the 60s, a lot of comportment. Women were taught comportment. And it's really a lot of that that I adopted to, to help in my presentation. Did you teach yourself that or did it just come naturally? Like, did you have to practice? Oh, there's, there's a lot of practice. Walking in heels is not something that came natural. Um, I don't know how anybody walk in heels period. Um, but luckily I think it's the, the male calves help me with strength in the ankles. I think it helps uh, wearing heels, but no, it's something you pick up. I do a lot of people watching. So I've always been like kind of a student of how people move and, and how they look and how they conduct themselves. And you kind of just pick up on all that and you kind of, practice it and mimic it until it becomes like more muscle memory. And then Mm. you'll just be that, like you put on a dress and all of a sudden you're, you're that, you know, I I tend to, Mm -hmm. in this mode, I tend to touch more like as a man, and this goes back to masculinity versus femininity. As a man, you wouldn't typically be so touchy feely with another man or another woman, um, unless you're like involved with that woman. But as Savannah, I'm more, I feel more freely, I feel more free to express by tactile touch and, and, you know, putting the hand on somebody's arm or on their wrist to, to have that connection. And that's more of a feminine trait to feel that it's okay to have that connection in a different way than a man would with either other, another man or a woman. That's interesting. Cause I, I'm very touchy when with like both men and women in my life, like I, like to put my hands on them and like I hold their elbow if they're beside me or something, if I'm reaching out to them, like I feel that I am very touchy feely, which has become a problem that I begin to self, I guess, reflect on a bit more as we get into a lot of the harassment world mm-hmm. and, you know, respecting space and whatnot, which has been really hard for me. Cause I'm like, I can be very touchy and I know and it's never like in a harassing way, but it can come across that way. Right. And, and, but that's part of my feminine, or I guess myself that I see more feminine and, and I talk a lot with my hands as well. And I always really find it interesting that those are associated with feminization when, and, and like how that word becomes more caring and how mm-hmm. caring is feminized. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, 
like the 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 steps to get there to the word caring is oh you have to be feminine to care a little bit more and or care enough to touch or care enough to create that physical bond and intimacy yeah Yeah. i mean you you're saying all the right things obviously this podcast is exactly for this you know if you think about masculinity and you think about stoicism and how people you know you have to be bottled up and not show emotions and not cry walk it off you got hit with a baseball you know all these things like is very masculine and we've been ingrained and indoctrinated to believe both by our parents by the media by tradition, by culture, that men should act a certain way and women should act a certain way. And so if you're trying to reach that divide between, oh, if you're a caring person and you're a little softer, that means you're feminine. I think the problem is, is that we spend so much time saying, oh, you're, you're so much more feminine because you're caring and compassionate and empathetic. Uh, no, no. Men and women are both all those things. The problem is, is that men have not been allowed until uh, probably what the nineties with metrosexuality and um, you know even the the coining of the phrase toxic masculinity, you know, and all these like retreats of like you're gonna unburn yourself of all this animal angst and stuff and beat on tribal drums and and you know center yourself. We've never allowed ourselves to be that society where it was accepted and okay and not a detriment to be open in your emotions, open in your empathy, cry when you need to without feeling demasculated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would tell you this is like, if you were to ask my girlfriend or you were to ask anybody at work who doesn't know that I'm Savannah on the weekends, I don't think any of them would ever lay claim is like, oh, I knew it because you're so femme. You're so, you're so, you know, foo-foo. No, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm masculine as I need to be, but I'm just softer and empathetic and nobody's questioning my masculinity. Mm. And, uh, and I think nobody questions my femininity when I'm Savannah, but yet they Mm -hmm. know I'm a man. I don't affect a different voice. I don't try to hide who I am other than the presentation of what I'm trying to commit to. And, it's like I, I'm fine with my femininity and I'm fine with my masculinity. I, f- I feel that there's a blend. I feel that my Savannah side serves my masculinity in a way that it helps me to be more compassionate, helps me to be more understanding, less judgmental, uh, less angry, uh, less aggressive. I mean, all these things have, have I think have been balanced in me since I was a child. It's just taken mm-hmm. me to the age I'm not going to tell you uh, to actually reflect about it enough to be kind of like, Oh, I understand where I am. And I kind of assessed it. Yeah. So were you kind of alluding like, that's interesting the way you worded it. So would you say that you're slower to anger as Savannah than in your male identity or like, like do you think it's more valid for you to be caring and empathetic when you're Savannah than it is when you're, the male identity of yourself? No, I, I think I have equal parts. If you if I were to okay. take this dress off and rip this wig off and wipe off the makeup, you'd have the same person. Okay. So my because I think that would be interesting too. Is like, oh, I, I feel more valid in my in in the softer parts of the manhood that I am when I'm a man, and now I can perform that better because. I am Savannah. So like these traits that I typically have that I'm as a man that are 
ostracized or whatnot, I feel safer performing or mm. presenting. That's that's a good point. I mean, I think I've been doing this for so long. This is not something that came on like five years ago, and now I'm struggling mm-hmm. to 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 put the the voice to the body and to the presentation. I've been doing this since as a, as a child, so it's always been ingrained. And as I grew up, yeah. it just was fostered and grew and tried to understand it more. And I spent years not understanding. I when I came out in the '90s, the first thing I did was we started going to the clubs, and we started mm-hmm. seeing drag queens in New York in the club scene, and started to see. You know other crossdressers, and I was wow. These these women, quote unquote, are super attractive. And all of a sudden, I was wondering about my sexuality because I knew they were men underneath. And it mm-hmm. took me years to kind of unlearn the idea that we talked about earlier, which is, oh well, if you see them as a woman but they're really a man, then it means you're gay. No, I was attracted to the feminine presentation, not to the underlying biology and i think a lot of people have that problem too is that you know it's like well i would never date a trans woman because i know they're a man well it's like but are you attracted to them do you like their personality why is it the genitals that define your attraction so we we as people have lots of hang-ups i think we had this conversation uh on our initial call but in that world is it common for men who do cross-dress to overplay their masculinity when they're not cross-dressing to, to make people assume that they would never cross-dress? Like, is there kind of a protection of that, that realm or a, a making up of sorts that, uh, that they don't want to come across that way? Like, I don't know really the question I'm asking, but. I think, um, I think I'm hearing you. Um, There's a lot of ways we could dissect it. Um, Number one, we had talked about this on the prior call is when we, when somebody like me is still in denial, is still trying to fight the demons that are their femininity, they tend to uh, go to the opposite extreme. They, they tend to overmasculate because they are so desperate to beat back this feminine demon that's plaguing them. So they'll, uh, you know, they'll go into a high risk, high masculinity job. They will be firefighters or cops or go into the you know armed services, be a green beret, you know, uh, or they'll like work out seven days a week for five hours a day and get super pumped up and be as masculine as possible in all those ways and make them feel more masculine. Um, but I've seen these same people come out of the service and transition like completely because mm-hmm. you know they serve their country and they didn't care if they died. They were like gung ho and they're like, I'm doing this forgotten country just to come home and realize, Oh, I was doing all these things because I was fighting who I was not fighting the enemy. I was fighting myself. Um, So that's one thing that can happen is that when we're in a denial of self, we tend to, to try to exaggerate the expressions we think are going to make us happy versus assessing those needs that we have that will make us happy in general, but because they're not socially acceptable or they're not socially uh, correct, people don't want to do it. Or if your faith doesn't uh, say it's okay, or your culture doesn't say it's okay, or you could be killed if you're gay or, Mm -hmm. you know, cross-dressing gender fluid. Uh, There's so many things that cause people to abandon their truth. For in favor of what will keep them safe. 
I don't think there's anybody in the world on this planet who's like, hey, you know what I'd like to do? Let me do something that's going to put me in harm's way. Mm. And it takes a lot, ironically, if you want to say it this way, it takes a lot of balls to say, you know what? I'm going to dress as a woman and I'm going to be my Savannah self and I'm going to go out in public and I don't care what people think and I don't care what how, what people, how they stare and what they may say to me. For me, it's living my truth and it makes me happy. Mm. So um, that's, that's unfortunately, that's only one part of the puzzle that you asked me. Um, but do I or do other like active cross-dressers tend to butch it up? in our male self to, to kind of throw everybody off our scent. I think the more comfortable you are with yourself, the less you're going to do that because there's, because you are comfortable. It's like if somebody finds, if somebody finds out that I'm Savannah, if I come home and the neighbor's out front raking leaves and I'll drive up and I'm like, who is that girl? That's not your girlfriend. Who is this person who's driving his car, but it's a her and it kind of looks like him. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I guess it's going down. I guess I'm going to go over to the neighbor and say, hi, I'm your neighbor, Mm. Savannah. So the more comfortable you get in yourself, in your masculinity, in your femininity, in whatever that blend is, it doesn't have to be like me who's like, I'm going to the feminine degree anytime I'm Savannah. And as my male self, I just, I'm just my male self and just live under that guys. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not true. It just means that this is what makes me comfortable in this moment. Mm-hmm. I, and I love that. And I guess what would one of the biggest things that you've taken away from yourself about masculinity and manhood, both as Savannah and as your male self? Well, you alluded to it earlier, which is, you know, this blending this, like did Savannah make me a better man? You know, mm-hmm. did did allowing myself to feel the femininity allow me to be a more compassionate and, and caring and balanced person in whole? And I would say that is what I have taken away. I've taken away my truth, uh, understanding that it's okay to have feminine side and not abandon your masculinity. Um, I realize that it's my place. The reason why I did the podcast, I started the podcast um, and, and wrote the books is because cross-dressing is still such a nebulous unknown that everybody says, oh, you're transitioning. Oh, you're drag queen. Oh, you're gay. You're this. Unfortunately, they don't understand what it really means because there's no science that we've discovered that says, oh, because your brain is got this many wrinkles in it, that's why you're, you like to dress in women's clothing. It's, 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 it's such a mental game as it's anything else. So I've taken away from my experiences in all my years and being more visible and more vocal and advocating more and educating myself more that I've taken away my better sense of self and being okay with all sides of myself and just knowing that I need to let people know that's okay. I mean, that's what the books mm-hmm. are there for. That's what the podcast is there for. That's what my writing essays on my website are for is to let the cross-dressing male know that it's okay and they're not alone. And as well as their partners and their spouses that say, this is not a fetish. This You're not going to lose your husband because they like to dress up this way. I'm not saying that's an absolute. I mean, I'm sure some people are in such denial, they will transition or they will need something different out of life. But if everybody comes into it with a full understanding and just live it and just kind of reflect and, and don't 
let the weight of the world and weight of culture and the weight of religion get in the way of your truth, I think we'll, we would all be better people. I would love to leave it there, but there's a couple more questions because that was really Please. deep. There's a, Sorry. That was really <laughs> deep. I was like, oh, that's such a – oh, that's so good. Uh, that would be a great ending point. But then uh, there are a couple more questions came up, obviously. Um, would you consider yourself more vo- uh, as one of the more vocal cross-dressers in the community uh, in terms of – supporting and, and being educational on it hmm. without sounding you know self-serving um like my girlfriend and i were just talking about today where talking about her and i and how where she started and, and when i told her to read certain books prior to mine is that she still had all those same questions that you had even after reading mm-hmm. because all those books reinforced that stereotype of what a crossdresser was so I think that my role in writing the book was to give a voice and a resonance to people that they could find a little bit of themselves in the writing because it's it's autobiographical. I tried to make it personal and personable. And I think people do find something in there that equates to them and they can say, oh my God, you wrote this for me or I understand this exact thing that you said. And I think that gives people hope and I think it gives them an outlet and understanding and they can point to it. They can actually go to their partner and say, look at this on page 17. Savannah said this, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about it. I think all I can do for people is to arm arm them with some tools and with some ideas and with some perspective and see how it applies to them and allow them to have that going into a conversation they need to have for themselves or with the people they love. Mm-hmm. And to follow that up, do you think, or are there as many cross-dressers that are women that dress as men? Or is that like not as prevalent? Well, here, here's, uh, oh boy, we're going into history now. Uh, women have been fighting for equal rights to not wear dresses and to wear what they want since the 20s, right? Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> I think it was, was it Catherine Hepburn? that she was, you know, wearing pants and it was all scandal. Um, You know, and then the women, you know, got into the factories, you know, during World War II and Rosie the Riveter, and it became part of a culture that wasn't the housewife with the pearls and the aprons and, you know, the sensible shoes and, you know, barefoot and pregnant. So all that being said, there's always been effeminate men. There's always been tomboy girls. But what has happened is that, Clothing has adjusted. Women are wearing jeans. Women are wearing T-shirts. The women are wearing more masculine fashion. And it's become such the cultural norm that you can dress up like a man if you're a woman and nobody says anything. Mm. Right? It's almost it's almost like a non-issue of quote-unquote cross-dressing female to male until you add in one of the other attributes like um, you're very butchy. You know, you're very masculine in your presentation and how you connect with people. Um, you're gay. And all of a sudden, now that takes on a different aura to it. But just a typical cis female, straight, heteronormative, who's wearing, you know, whatever very maleish mm-hmm. outfits they want. Nobody says anything about it because it's become part of fashion. Yeah, that's true. And as, as soon as I said it and you started talking, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where you're going with this is that I can name almost all of my female women friends 
who buy men's clothing because it just fits better mm-hmm. or looks better and they've always worn it. So and I think it's cheaper. Uh, yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> men's stuff is usually cheaper, except for their dresses. A man's suit is way more expensive than a woman's dress hmm. for the most part. Like it takes I would say it takes more money for a guy to look fancy than it does for a woman. I guess it depends on their taste. That's true. But like you a lot of women could have gone to Forever Twenty One, rest in peace, uh and and bought like a twelve dollar dress and men still, can't go yeah, and buy a twelve dollar <laughs> shirt, tie and suit pants, right? And, so, and dress shoes and belt and cufflinks. Yeah. It's so expensive. <laughs> but guys also don't care about wearing the same suit a hundred thousand times. That's true. And and there's a lot more societal pressure on women to change up their look every day. That's true. Very true. Do you do that? Like, do you wear a different dress all the time? Or? Yes. Yes. Um, because I uh, do a lot more Instagram, uh, just one note about Instagram, I'm very self-conscious about my looks and mm. I never felt comfortable in my feminine looks. But the more I actually um, engage with taking selfies and taking pictures and figuring out which one to put on Instagram, I've actually gotten more comfortable with my looks. Because it forced me to be objective, one, about like, okay, what's my best angles? What's the best lighting? Uh, all those things that like make you take a better picture of yourself. Mm-hmm. I've kind of learned that craft and it's made me happier about the results. So that's number one. But number two, the question being answered is if I like wear the same dress, like within like two scrolls of what I'm posting, I've worn it uh, too close together. Savannah, you're fitting the, the the norm there, the stereotype. Disappointed. Sorry, I'm so sorry, but I'm very I'm very binary in my in how I feel about my yeah. femininity, which is which is ironic because the term non-binary is what I am. Non-binary means that you are doing something outside of your biology. You know, you're identifying outside your biology, uh, but yet I dress both male and female in a very binary way. Like mm. other than the voice, and, and you probably can speak to it better than me because you're looking at me. I tr- I want to be very specific and very feminine and look the part. And when you saw me and my male self, it's like, hey, what's up? You know, scruffy, yeah. hat on, whatever. You know, yeah. Just trying to. I think you had an earring too. I did not. Did you? Oh, no. I thought he did. No. Okay. <laughs> do you have earrings? Do you have earrings like clip-on earrings? No, they hurt my earlobes. Okay. I tried to get a piercing had, back in the day, and I I just think I got some weird cartilage. Okay, I I tried fake earrings once, but like just like studs, mm. and then because I was trying, I'm like, do I want earrings or do I not want earrings? And then I decided not to, but I still think I'd look okay with them. But I, I I just don't put the the work in every day to make my hair look good, so that was a huge problem too. I hear you. I hear you. But. The first thing I want to do once I pay off all my student debt, is, which is soon, is uh, to get a tattoo. So nice. I think that will be my gift to myself once I'm once I'm out of debt. And you have it all but, figured uh, out. Obviously, if you have to save up for it after student debt, it must be uh, an expansive tattoo. It's uh, around twelve hundred to fourteen hundred dollars, probably. It'd be uh, my forearm mm-hmm. right here. And um, it'd be a picture of Mount Fuji in Japan. I lived in Japan for four months. Um, And so it's the only thing that's ever spoken to me as being a tattoo that I'd want permanently on my body. And it would all like all the tattoos I want, I'd I'd want to do a full sleeve in the future would have to be really meaningful things, either of landscapes or um, 
like siblings, kids, or parents. Right. Things that are kind of like not, are not changeable. Correct. Yeah. 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 You're always my kid. You're always my sibling. You're always my parents. A wife, probably not (laughs) because we can, we can, we can change those. So uh, probably not those. I've I've seen those, uh, those TLC shows where they cover up a bad tattoo. Um, Yes. And you have so many options with like the Japanese style of tattoo art. And, you know, it's so beautiful to see that on, on, on skin. I would only do realism. I can't do color. Like I wouldn't, I do black and white realism. I can't do color. doesn't look good on, on white skin. I don't think, or most skin, not even just white skin, to be honest. I don't like color in a lot. And then I only like realism, uh, as a design, which apparently hurts. Cause there's lots of shade, a lot of lots shade, of shade lots of lane. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Uh, my, my body so, is uh, tattoo free. So is it, yeah. are you going to keep a tattoo free? I don't know. I, I was asked, somebody said, if you were to get a tattoo, what would it be? And, um, because I identify, I even got my uh, my Phoenix uh, necklace yeah. on today, and Fox and Phoenix being you know the podcast, that's kind of my spirit animal. And it's like if I were to do anything, because it had to be like you said, meaningful. It had to be something that I want adorned and be proud of. And that's the only thing I could think of that would would make me proud and happy is to have a very stylized Phoenix on someplace. However, it yeah. Is. yeah. Yeah, that's cool, and uh, and with that, we'll let let's promote yourself, Savannah. You have uh, a minute, a minute and a half to tell everyone what you got going on in your life, books, podcast, where they can find you, okay. everything. Well, uh, you can find me at livingwithcrossdressing.com. I'm also on Facebook at Savannah Hawk, and that's Hawk with a U, by the way, H A U K. Uh, Savannah is two N's and an H. Also with uh, Facebook with Living with Crossdressing. Uh, me and my co-host share the uh, Facebook, the Fox in the Phoenix podcast, which also you can find on Spotify and iHeartRadio and uh, Apple Podcasts. And my books, uh, the Living with Cross-Dressing series. There are two books. The first one is about relationships and kind of like a one-on-one of cross-dressing and like how to navigate it within a relationship. And the second book is really more serving the cross-dresser or dual-gender individual themselves to kind of like deeper dive into like the whys of why you do it and just kind of a, a more of a 201 like just give you like the the tools to kind of make that self-assessment perfect and can we plan a giveaway of one of those books or absolutely. two of those books for absolutely. the audience absolutely perfect oh even let's sign do it up Per, ah, yes, that's what I meant to say too. Two signed books. So uh, we can coordinate that off camera. But uh, everyone, check out the details for those books in the description. Check out the links to everything Savannah in the description of this episode as well. And Savannah, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much for having this podcast. It really is amazing. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of the Imperfect Pod. If you would like to find out more about today's guest, you can connect with her on her website, livingwithcrossdressing.com. Again, you can find her on Facebook at Savannah Hawk or uh, Living with Crossdressing. Her podcast, Fox and the Phoenix, and her books, uh, the Living with Crossdressing series. Again, I have three copies of these books. To enter the giveaway, there are a few options. One, shoot me a message on Instagram at the Imperfect Pod stating your interest. Two, shoot me an email at Luke at the Imperfect Pod stating your interest. Or three, share a screenshot of the episode on Instagram and tag me at the Imperfect Pod. Again, if you enjoyed the episode, 
world to me if you took 30 seconds to press the follow button, subscribe button, uh, or leave a review. And about the Facebook group, link in the description below if you'd like to join a community where we continue these conversations. Uh, again, it's direct access to a lot of the guests that I've had on the show, um, including last week's Joshua Shea, the porn uh, addict recovery coach. Um, so feel free to join through the link in the description below. And I look forward to seeing you next week.